Hello, and welcome to Come Towards Delight, the podcast. I'm your host, Mike Gregson. My mission is to find everyday people who are delightful. The people I interview have attractive energy and a positive outlook on life. And I want to give them a platform to share their stories so that others can have hope in the midst of their struggles and see delight in a world that at times can seem gloomy. I will uncover the life experiences of the guests that I interview, which have enabled them to look at life in such an inspiring and delightful way, with the belief that to understand the light, one has to be acquainted with the dark. My guests will share their personal experiences on finding their way through dark and hopeless times and give us a glimpse into the powerful gifts they received in their darkest hours to rise up, take up hope, and view life through new, hope-filled eyes. Is it possible that in our darkest hours, we are given a gift to find the light which leads to our greatest delights? everybody and welcome to Come Towards Delight, the podcast. I'm your host, Mike Gregson, and I've um, got a special guest for you today. I've got Mr. Brady Bloom. And before I really tell you how I know Mr. Brady Bloom, I'm going to tell you something that's a really, really fun fact, and you're going to get some connection from this. So from those of you that are my age, um, maybe a little bit older, we loved the show Dumb and Dumber. That was like, that was awesome. It was groundbreaking, right? Comedy-wise. And uh, Brady happened to um, have a, a starring role. Starring. I'm, I'm not kidding, man. Everybody will know exactly what I'm saying. So um, if you all remember the movie Dumb and Dumber, um, there's a poor little blind kid in the show that uh, has his bird taken from him. His pretty bird, right? No. Tell me how it goes. I forget. He's sold a dead bird. That's right. With his head like... For 20 bucks. Yes, and his head's like put back on. Head's right? taped on. And so the, the one part of the show that I remember in your role is pretty bird, pretty bird, right? I'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> pretty bird, pretty bird. Yes, can you say pretty bird? Um, oh, you're such a pretty birdie. I love it. So, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> Brady Bloom in the flesh. Played Pretty Bird. What was the kid's name in the movie? The, the two things, that Billy and Forcey. Yes, yes, yes. The bird was Petey, and Billy lives in apartment Forcey. Yeah. And Forcey is not his last name. A lot of people get that wrong. Forcey. So, I, like, the things people remember me for is that, and then I was the voice of Christopher Robin. Yes. For seven yes. years for, for Winnie the Pooh. Right. So, so I'll do that for you, too, which, um, yeah. No, please. You're braver than you believe, and stronger than you seem, and smarter than you think, silly old bear. That's that's more for like my parents. My parents would recognize that voice like, yeah, totally because I thought I was there. But um, I just I'm I'm grateful to have you here today. Um, it's Brady Brady and I connected uh, through my wife Alicia. She grew up in, in basically the same part of town as mm-hmm. you and your family out in California. And um, I remember meeting you several years ago. Back I, I want to say it was around 2013 or somewhere around there. And uh, we went to dinner, and of course our wives are, are friendly, good friends growing up. And um, it was funny because when you and I connected, it was like that was that. It seemed like we were the ones that knew each other forever. <laughs> it was like I think our wives both looked at us like, okay, I know these guys are really friendly with everybody, but like, what's what's up with these two? Like, we talked about all kinds of things, mm-hmm. right? And you grew up uh, a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and served a mission as well. Chile, yeah. Concepcion. Chile, right? Yep. And, and so that was that was something that we could connect about pretty instantly. And then, you know, we just, we had a really good conversation. And right off the bat, 
um, I just felt a, a big love for you and, I, and, and your, you and your wife. And, and throughout the years, we've kind of connected when we got out to California and you guys were still living out there. And um, it's, you're just a great friend, somebody I look up to a lot. Likewise. What is exciting to me, though, um, and what, what is different to me and what has helped me learn and grow and, and start to look um, at myself a little deeper. Like, do I really, truly um, love all regardless, without boundaries, it is a journey that you've been on throughout your life. Um, so, Brady, and, and I'm going to let you kind of get into the story, but what I, first of all, before you really start to get into it, um, tell us about you and your family a little bit, if you, if you don't mind, you guys just recently moved from Colorado to Utah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we'll kind of get into your spiritual journey. Um, and, and, and just to preface it a little bit, Brady and his wife left the church a while ago, a few years ago, almost, um, almost six, almost six years, years ago. Yeah. And, and I, I want Brady to tell a story because I just, I've learned so much from Brady and his positivity and his desire to grow and, the light that he has in his life. And, and it's really made me kind of stop and go, huh, I need to gauge myself a little better. I need to understand if I'm really, you know, as a, as a Latter-day Saint, am I really practicing the teachings of Christ in loving all without boundaries? And as I've watched you um, and watched your wife and had dinner with you guys and, and been around you guys and feel full of love when I'm in your surroundings, um, Alicia and I both have just said, you know, these are two people that we want in our lives forever, you know? So, uh, that said, tell us about yourself and then let's dive in. All right. Um, tell us about yourself as such a vague thing, yeah. right? Oh, uh, <laughs> don't leave anything out either. So I was born on, no, um, <laughs> I grew up in, in a really strong LDS family, uh, five kids. I'm, I'm the middle child, always seeking attention and, uh, not a master of my own attention throughout my entire life. Um, and I started acting when I was five years old. I did a, my brother had started first. My oldest brother was in dynasty Lois and Clark Superman. If you remember that TV show, nineties stuff. And, um, I signed on with his agent because I was really outgoing. I wasn't afraid of strangers or anything like that. No stranger danger for me. So um, I, the first thing I did, I was in an episode of Doogie Howser yes. and a reading promo with Fred Savage and Dana Delaney for all, for all that lived through the nineties. Well, man. yeah. Oh, he's the best. Um, and, and then I acted throughout my entire childhood until I went on my mission. Um, and, I, I value the experiences it gave me. I value like the skills it gave me too. Just like even without knowing it, like they, they just came naturally. I wasn't focused on like practicing a lot or anything like that. Um, but I, and I think because of that, as an adult, I struggled because there's more competition. There was, it was, it was harder to get back into the industry after, after my mission, um, for me. And, and so because of that, like I, I just went and, to a different path for life. I got into sales and I, I work in education technology now uh, with a company based in Provo named Imagine Learning. They're awesome. Yeah, it's a good company. Yeah. Um, and so I, I love what I do still, but I'm, I'm also just drawn, like I, I love being an artist. And so um, like as an artist that like acting is a craft that I still love. I've in the last few years, I've gotten back in touch with my acting coach from when I was a kid he has um, a conservatory in New York, but he'll also travel around the U.S. and actually around the world and, and do acting intensives, like two-day intensives. Oh, cool. And I used to train with him in my 20s, like twice a week uh, at nights. 
and it's like monologue and scene work. And like the last couple years, um, I've done a lot of Shakespeare monologues and man, like I've learned so much from Shakespeare, like in, in the language that he uses, the symbolism that's in all of it. And, uh, in particular, I've, I've studied the, uh, six prologues for Henry V yeah. and, um, man, I love those prologues. Yeah. Like I, I, I haven't been practicing in the last year, but for like two, three years, every single day I would practice a, a, one of those monologues and just like practice relaxation, practice the visualization. It, it was awesome. I love it. What, what, tell me your takeaway from studying Shakespeare. What, like, tell me, what do you think about Shakespeare's mind? Who was he? Um, he's a really great teacher, a really great teacher. And and a teacher just of the human experience, really. And a lot of the language that's used, like he doesn't shy away from the sexuality of things. He doesn't shy away. He doesn't shy away from anything. Right. And, and so his plays, but even just like a single monologue, you can get so much out of it. And, and something I've learned from monologue practice is that it's repetition that where, where real learning and growth happens. If you just do something a couple times, it like, yeah, it might feel good. And, it, and that's like entertaining in a way, but like the work comes from doing it over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. My teacher recommends like getting a clicker and you, if you haven't done it 250 times, he doesn't want you to bring it on stage. Right. Like um, and so he, he's a great teacher for me too. His name's Tom Totteroff. He, his intensives are online right now too. So like every weekend he does one and, um, just really wonderful life principles that, that acting can teach you. That's really cool. Yeah. And, and I, we talked before uh, we started recording and you talked about saturating, like letting it saturate, like saturating in it or letting it saturate. Marinate too, right? Actually, yeah, like so marinating. I was just gonna say, I'm like, you know, the crazy thing is, you're talking about this. I'm like, this is probably how bad my mind is, but I'm thinking of barbecue already. Yeah. <laughs> so if you want me to taste good, you gotta let it sit in there for a long yeah. time. Yeah. You could, you could just let it sit for 30 minutes. Yeah. It'll taste good. Yeah. Right. Yeah. If you leave it in overnight, let's soak it up. It's it's gonna be in every part yeah. of it, right? And so like whatever it is that you're interested in, whatever it is you're engaged in, if it's art, if it's science or math or I don't care what it is. Like that's how you learn is you have to soak in it, right? You have to live and breathe it. And it, I mean, it's the same thing with learning a language, yeah. right? Like when I went on my mission to Chile, like I learned I learned Spanish. It came really easy to me. Sure. And and I had companions that it didn't come very easy sure. to. But like it I had studied Spanish for two years beforehand, right? I studied it at the MTC and I'm like, I got Spanish down because I can speak Spanish to all my gringo friends and they understand everything I'm saying, yeah. right? But then the second I like land in an airplane and I get into a taxi and I'm trying to say, take me to this place. And then the guy's like talking, I'm like, I don't understand a single word that's coming out of this, this man's mouth, right? I don't, I don't get anything from it. But like, it was the immersion in it that like, it came within a, a few months that I was able to fluently speak in like six months, I was dreaming in Spanish, that's right? Awesome. Like, and so, and that to me is like with a language, I think that's when like, you know, that, that like you're fluent, yeah. right? Is when you're dreaming in it, it's like, this is weird. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's but everything has its own language, yeah. right? Acting has its own language. Yeah. Music has its own language. This year I've picked up um, 
the tabla. I'm, yeah. I'm a drummer. I've, I, I got into drums in fifth grade in band. And then, uh, like in school, fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth grade, I did that in high school. I was in a rock band called Shashi Shah. Yeah. Right. And what does that mean? Nothing. Yeah. Just gibberish. Nothing. That's great. That's great. Um, and, and so I was in a rock band through those years. I played like for the school musical Godspell and other stuff. And so I learned the drum kit really well through that. Then, like later in my life, I've, I was in a boy band growing up yes. too, right? I, well, it started. I joined an acapella group, and that taught me so much about singing, harmony, and everything sure. too, right? And really, like uh, that became a part of me because I was singing and performing for old folks' homes and at malls during Christmas time, and you know, like um, I love acapella. That translated, like we were singing at an AMC, and just uh, they they paid us to come and sing for the patrons, right? And um, and these two guys, Tony and Barry are these guys' names, right? These big, one's a really big black guy. One's one of those short, stocky, like boxer kind of black guys, right? Yeah. And they come up to us and they're like, you guys are off the chain. Like, we want to represent you. We want to manage you and like, and, and do a boy band. And this was when NSYNC and Backstreet Boys yeah. were big. Yeah. And so like Babyface wrote a song for us and we were singing Babyface and we became an sure. R&B. Oh, we were an R&B boy band. Um, we had a couple of names, Eclipse was probably the most um, politically correct of the names. White Chocolate was probably the least politically oh, yeah. correct hey, well, of the names. Well, the, white chocolate. We were White yeah, Chocolate okay. for like six months. All right. All right. Yeah, not so politically correct today. But yeah, man, it was in the 90s. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, there you have it, folks. I mean, Brady Bloom, actor, even possible boy band. See, I mean, he had a band for us. This is odd. I mean, I'm learning new things every day. This is great. Oh, man. Okay, so... Um, <laughs> Now, okay, so after the mission, um, let's, let's talk about your current status before you really get into your story. So you and your wife, Abby, um, who is awesome, just moved out here from Colorado, right? Yeah. And you've got two kids. Ironically, like, when I, when I was devout, true blue, believing member of the church, like, I, I always said I would never move to Utah, <laughs> right? Like, because the Mormon culture is very thick here, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and so the irony is like having, having left the church, like somehow we're like, no, it's fine. Like, seems like Utah great. seems like yeah, a great place cool. to be. Right. <laughs> and so like, we've had people be like, why are you moving to Utah? I've had people that are members that like don't understand me. Um, yeah. and that, that I was really close to growing up that just don't really know me anymore. Be like, like ask my mom, why is Brady moving to Utah when he's anti-Mormon? And it's like, I'm not anti-Mormon. That's the thing. Right, like I'm, I'm not at all. To destroy the church, <laughs> <laughs> I, I would have gone with, "Hey, Brady's coming back, man. This is great." <laughs> yeah, and I wonder if people think that too. But, um, but yeah, we moved uh, to Colorado uh, at a transition point in. It was more my life, I'd say, maybe midlife, midlife crisis in a way, not like Colorado Springs, right? Yeah, we moved to Colorado Springs. I, um, I had, I was working for Imagine Learning. I quit and I worked for another company, another company that I really loved their program that helped, uh, it really helps kids learn to, um, do argumentative writing and think critically, oh, how- which I, I'm a huge believer in learning how to think about your own thinking yeah. and challenge your own yeah. thinking. And so I really was passionate about it, but it didn't work out. Yeah. And so about eight months into that journey, I just realized it wasn't going to work going forward. And so I, I quit. It was really scary for me. It was, um, we talked about cognitive dissonance earlier and this was 
one of those experiences, both quitting Imagine Learning because it was a very safe place for me and also quitting Think Circa was the name of the company. Both times it was like so scary. And leaving leaving that second job, um, I, I w- was doing it to take a sabbatical. So I took six months off work. I wanted to take 12 months, but it ended up being six. And um, just really ate into our savings. It was so like financially, like a couple months in, like I... I started practicing meditation long before that, a few years before that. But like, I like couldn't meditate because my mind was so scared about money, so scared about money. And, um, and so like breathing through that, working through that and doing, doing that. And we moved to Colorado at the very beginning of that. Um, and so we were in Colorado through that sabbatical period. And then, um, uh, an opportunity opened up a friend of mine at Imagine Learning was like, you don't have a job and you're in Colorado and I have a position open. He's like, I'll let, like, you can ease back into work with me. Like you can take it however you want. I just want you on my team. Like, and so I started working for Imagine Learning again there. And, um, and yeah, so we were in Colorado for a little over two years and, um, I miss it. It it became home and it still feels like home. And I made some really deep friends there, um, from the yoga studio that I, practiced in and took my yoga teacher training in. I love so many of the people there. And then, um, also like some close friends that I had in Colorado Springs has a very Christian community. And, um, I'm not a practicing Christian. Um, I love, I learned this from, uh, a Baptist pastor that became a, he's a Buddhist monk now. And, um, I'm a friend of Christ. I'm a friend of Christ. And so Jesus, Jesus is one of my, my teachers, one of my masters. And, um, I, I love the words of Jesus and that's, that's my approach to Christianity. And we can get more into that if, if the conversation goes there. Um, but it's, it's how am I living? Right. Am I, am I living those words? Am I marinating in those? Right. Am I, are those in my mind Are those in my heart? And, and so to me, it's not the, the Sunday observance, right? It's, it's the life observance of, of those words. And so I, uh, I've developed a, or found a, a number of teachers and, and Jesus is one of the preeminent of those, I'd say. Yeah. Uh, so that, because of that, I had some, I have some very great friends that were, they're just wonderful Christian people. Um, one works for Navigators, which is like a worldwide Christian organization and he runs their missions organization. Um, and then another is, is a pastor who, um, I went to coffee with every week for like over a year mm-hmm. and we both just like learned so much from each other, so much. And, um, I, I told him, his name's Vince. Mm-hmm. And the last time we went to coffee was, was the week we were moving. And, um, like I want, I want his, his version of Christianity to spread because I see it like, I want, I want tr- true Christianity to spread, right? Not religious Christianity. Like, let religious Christianity spreads if that contains true Christianity within it, right? If that's the heart of it, let it spread. Yeah. Please spread it. Um, so anyway. And I want to I want to dive into that a little bit. Um, before we go, let's, let's come back to Vince and what this idea of true Christianity means to you. Hmm. Um, t- take me through... Take me through your journey. And this wasn't a journey. I mean, this is a personal journey, but it's also a journey you and your wife both went through, mm-hmm. right? And, and maybe at the same time, maybe not. But um, tell me, 
the, most of my listener base is are, are members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I'm this. I'm not in any way affiliated with them. Sure. Um, my the the podcast is called Come Towards Delight. I find delight or the light. Delight or you know in in urban or what is it the what's the di- the dictionary that. The Urban Dictionary, yeah, yeah. So, like, if you want to go with delight, you know, like, yeah, delight. There you go. But, but it's come towards delight, and, and huh. whatever that is, to get delight, you have to be full of light. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, you have to go through hard things to get there. Mm. Um, journeys, if you will. Everyone's got their own journey to go through. I think the thing that I love about your story, and 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 what I hope my listeners will truly understand before um, we really dive into this is, I see you and your wife is full of light. You are, I want you in my home to have dinner with me and my family. And I want my kids to see you. I want by candlelight. Yeah. <laughs> and we do that. It's weird. My wife, my wife thrift off the light. It's kind of our peaceful time, right? So we turn off the lights, we light candles and it's, it's actually been really good for our family. It's cool. Cool tradition. Yeah. But, but what I, I've learned in my growth as a Christian man myself, that if you truly read Christ's teachings and writings, the most important thing that he did is he went to those who were part of marginalized groups or suppressed. He wrapped his arms around them, taught them their worth and their value, and he brought them in. He brought them in to have a seat at his table. Didn't matter. Didn't matter who they were or what they were doing. Um, he brought them in and he taught them um, of their value and, and loved them. Um, and the people that, accepted them. Yes. Amen. And, and as I've gone on my journey, as a faithful member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, I have absolutely learned that with God being my Father and all of us on this earth being His children, like, like I understand in that teaching, um, that there's a lot that is different than my beliefs in this world. My brothers and sisters have many different beliefs. And instead of me being afraid of those beliefs, and instead of me putting a wall up and saying, I don't want to know more because here's the fullness of truth that I believe. I don't believe that's the right approach that my Heavenly Father wants me to have at all. Um, and so I've opened my heart and my mind and trying to live like, the, like Jesus Christ lived. And in doing so, um, I'm looking for light. I'm looking for joy. I'm looking for spirituality in everything that I'm doing in my life. And I see you and your wife and I go... This is someone who is on a spiritual journey. This is someone who is doing his life right. And I know, I know, according to my beliefs, I know that my Heavenly Father is proud of you. So why would I, why, why would I in my limited mind block you out of my life and not learn from you? Which, if I approach this correctly, only enhances who I am in my personal beliefs, right? Yeah. How do I do that? Well, so, and so that's... That's why I'm so excited to talk to you today. I think the, the greatest, I, I believe the greatest gift we can receive is when someone allows us to enter their world, to see who they really are, to be vulnerable with us, right? And because it's scary being vulnerable. Yeah. It's really scary to share that we're not perfect. It's really sh- scary to talk about our shadow, right? And to accept our shadow mm-hmm. as like real, like right? Um, yeah. Like and um, bef- before I start, would you, well, w- with what you were saying too, um, like I've, I've been 
a devout Latter-day Saint, right? I, I've, I know that place. I know who I was. I know my mindset. I, I, I was, I was that, right? And so, um, what, what I would say to myself from eight years ago, right? Before, or probably seven years ago, sure. Um, is if like you were me seven years ago and told me what you just said right now, it, it's really easy or it's a lot easier when someone who's like gone through a faith crisis and like left the church and gone through the pain of all of that, right? If, if they choose and if their path leads through that out to a, a point of spirituality afterward where you see light in that person and see them seeking after light in that place, it's, it's much easier to then engage with that person in that place and be like, sure. wow, like, I actually look up to you. I see like what you're doing brings peace. Like you told me earlier and light and everything when the real challenges and what, what Jesus demonstrated and, and lived was not engaging at that point. Yes. It's engaging in the darkest place possible because I've been through a dark, through dark, dark places in my faith crisis. Saying that right now, me personally, I'm saying that's scary. I saw a few, I, I, I saw a few of your posts on social media and things like that. And at that point I was like, Oh, like I almost, almost the way I looked at it is what did he do or what's wrong with them? What, what mistakes did they make in their life? And that, and so it's hard to like want to engage because you feel like you're just going to get, they must want to drink. Yes. They like in, in that time period when I was um, like, uh, I'll get into the story of it, but I swung. Saying that. that is because that teaches me right there because you're, you're on the other end, but I didn't engage during that low point. And it's okay. Like it's, it's totally okay. Right. right? Because we don't know how to do that. There, there are not very good models of yeah. that out there. Yeah. Right. And there's, there's very little teaching about that. Yeah. I even, right. Yeah. It, it, like, hinted at but it's not we don't go there we don't really go there if i and, and i will explore this more as you tell your story but if i would have engaged with you at that point and done it right is that something you would have responded to or would you have said i'm trying to break away from this thing i'm kind of nah like it's good i so done it right is is there there isn't a right way yeah. right um what what i can say is i don't know how i would have responded sure. and um i might have responded with vitriol Sure. Right, I might have been in an anger in an anger phase. I was in an anger phase yeah. because, like, the stages of grief include anger, right, and include depression and sadness and all sorts of things. Um, and so, I don't know how I would have responded. What I would, what I would say now to myself from seven years ago, is it doesn't matter how that person responds. Yeah. All that matters is that um, I reach out in love, That's awesome. right, and not not in not with judgment, not with like. Um, not tell me where you're at now, not, well, well, do you believe in God? Yeah. Right. It's yeah. because it's like, I don't know at that time. No, I, I, I really didn't at all. And, and so like, it can't be like to please my own ego, right? The, the way to do it, I would, I would recommend is just to, to be there. Make it safe. Help oh. me understand. Help me understand what you've been through. Yeah. Help me like hold a space for, for that person. And make it safe a safe space for them to be vulnerable because what they need is, is someone to listen to them. It's what they need. And through my whole journey, I've had, I think two members of the church, maybe three now with you 
actually like reach out and be like, Hey, like, tell me your story. What, what's going on? Like, I know I'm a true, I, I know TBM is, is the, they're, like there, it's a different language, right? Like the ex Mormon language is a totally different language that, that there's all sorts of things, but TBM means true blue or true believing Mormon. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so like, I, I know I'm TBM. I, I, I know I believe this, right. I won't feel threatened by you. No, it's okay. Like I, I, I respect your journey and I don't even need you to come back. I don't, I don't need you to see things differently. All I want to know is how do you see things? How do you see things? I can grow. I know your heart. Yeah. I know your spirit. In fact, and I know where you come from. Mm -hmm. And I honestly, Brady, like I, I just, I, I think the treat for the listeners today is not only do we get to hear, um, kind of put ourselves in check and say, we all know someone who's left the church. Yeah. And, yeah. And, 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 and to put ourselves in check and say, okay, well, in those cases, what am I doing? And am I, am I surrounding that person in love? And, and we don't need to have all the right words to say. Like, it, it, we, people don't need to be brought back. People are on their journey. We need to embrace them. We need to embrace their journey that they're going through. Their path. And we need to trust that that person is a mature person like we are ourselves, if we think we are. Sometimes maybe we don't. Um, but trust them and love them enough to say, go go find your way. And and as you find your way, just know I'm with you. I love you. And and I'm, I want to know more about you. So don't ever disconnect from me fully. Like, I'm, I love you. I'm, I'm with you. And, so anyway. And... and by doing that, then if they ever do feel lost, they'll feel safe to, to ask for help to come to you. And, and I guess also recognize that, like, I see now when I was a TBM, when I was, I was teaching seminary, I was full, like, it's all I knew. And it, it was, it was how I saw everything. I was lost. Yeah. I was lost. I wasn't living well. Like I was, I was a great Mormon. Yeah. Right. By all appearances uh, on the outside and mostly on the inside. Yeah. Right. Um, but I, I didn't know. I didn't know how to be a Christian, maybe. Okay. Right. Okay. So get into your journey, so, man. Talk to us. Um, okay. It's been a while since I've revisited it. Um, so I was teaching seminary and I was teaching the New Testament and I loved teaching the New Testament to sophomores. And my, my sister-in-law, Abby's sister, was in my class, actually. Yeah. Oh, cool. And um, it oh, was... How old were you at this time? 20? No, I was 30. I'm eight years older than Abby. Okay. Um, I was... Was it six years ago? Okay. It was the year... It was 2014. 2013 to 2014. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Um, and... So January of that year, I'm teaching the New Testament and I just started a new, I started my job with Imagine Learning okay. and Imagine Learning is a very Mormon company, yeah. right? Like yeah. tons of members. Right. Yeah. I was referred by a mission companion, yeah. right? Like that's how I got the job. Um, and so I had just started working there and I connected, we had my friend Benji Schwimmer over. I don't know if you know who Benji is. He, he was LDS he won So You Think You Can Dance, the oh, second season. Okay. Um, so he was a fam like famous Mormon, yeah. right, in, in, that, in that right. And about a year before, he had come out as gay yeah. and, and left the church. Okay. Um, he had 
he had struggled and, and like he has a full Mormon stories podcast episode all about his journey. Um, and I hadn't even listened. I knew Benji. We were almost roommates, but I got married to Abby instead, but we were in young single adult ward together, really good friends. And I've stayed connected with him still like one of my best friends, even though I haven't seen him in a few years now. Right. It's those kinds of best friends. Um, yeah. So he, um, we were, we were having a deep discussion. We love talking about deep things. I've always loved talking about deep things. So we were talking like metaphysical things and relating that to God and, and everything else. And um, we were talking about the New Testament because I was teaching it. And he's like, you would love this. There's this Mormon Stories episode by Jared Anderson where he goes through the New Testament from a scholarly perspective. He breaks down the New Testament from um, the what what scholars understand the order that it was written in uh-huh. to right the time the their best understanding of of the time frame so not like cover to cover sure. different books to any and he breaks down the books who actually wrote the different epistles of Paul Paul wrote many of them there's a couple that Paul didn't write right there's some that we don't we aren't sure he could have written it it could have been written by someone else like one of his disciples or something right. like that right. um who really wrote the gospels who re- like mm-hmm. all these different things and even like different portions of them and the connections between them and it, it was fascinating right and so he introduced me to that and I loved it like I I devoured it I was teaching the New Testament. And it opened my mind to something that like I had no clue about before, right? No clue. And, um, and many things were really deep and and intricate. And, um, I'm friends with Jared now. He lives in Salt Lake and I'm, I look forward to seeing him soon, hopefully. But, um, so from there I was introduced to Mormon stories. This was when I'm pretty sure most members know the name John DeLynn now and know about Mormon stories podcast probably. This was uh, earlier in the journey, and so uh, in John's journey, and uh, he had a lot of apologists on, right? So um, Richard Bushman, Terrell Givens, um, uh, and, and a few others. I, I don't remember the other names. Those were two that, that really spoke to me and that I loved. Uh, and Richard Bushman wrote Restaurant Rolling, right? They're still active, believing members of the church. Yeah. And, and what what they went through with John is they they talked about the troubling parts of LDS history, sure. right? The, the parts that, that create dissonance sure. really sure. that were not taught mm-hmm. in, in Sunday school that even though I studied deeply on my mission, like I never knew any of these things, sure. right? I never knew a lot of, of how things really happened. Sure. Right. And so, and, and that's, that's human nature yeah. to um, idealize things. It's organizational nature, to to also whitewash things, and I I say that um, with trepidation because whitewashing has a bad connotation to it. But but there is truth to that sure. too, right? Like the Sunday school version of Mormon history is is a whitewashed version sure. of, of church history, yeah. and the church has done a lot better job I've seen in the last five six years in actually addressing those things yeah. or allowing people the space to to wrestle with it. Right. Yeah. Which at, at the time that I went through my faith crisis, they weren't very good about it yet. And none of the members really knew how to talk about it. No. Right. Because it, whitewash. Yeah. You're right. Whitewash comes with kind of a, it has a negative. Yeah. We, we hear that like, tone, oh, but, but really in all reality, you know, it's like any other group that's organized in the world that's, that's been around for a while and that has a foundation. I mean, there's a lot of things like, there's a lot of things that throughout the history of time, 
un- unfortunately, the imperfections of men are going to be all scattered throughout there, right? And and we idealize yes. and we idolize. I, I've thought about this with my own dad. He passed away back in 2008. And, and I, like, sometimes I have to remind myself that all I remember is the best things about my dad. Because that's all I want to remember. And that's, a, yeah. And my dad is, my dad's an amazing man. And that's true. But I, sometimes I forget, like, I, I tell myself, I want to, I want to be just like my dad. If I can be like him by the time I die, then, then gosh, I've lived a great life. But in all reality, like I, I stop, I have to remind myself that, hey, he had weaknesses too. And his me- his weaknesses are what made him beautiful, mm-hmm. you know? And, and, and that's, I think, I, so yes, I think, I think what you're saying, Brady, is, is uh, we just, as, as a people, um, because there wasn't openness around it, um, and maybe, you know, maybe it's not the fact that it was hidden or anything like that, but there just wasn't an openness around it. And so members of the church didn't really know how to talk about certain things. And they're like... There were things that were hidden. Amen. Like there were things intentionally hidden. Yeah. That's, that is like historically sure. true. Sure. Um, and there, uh, but I'd, I'd say those are the minority of things, yeah. right? It, where it was intentional. I think the majority of it is that's just, it's what we do yeah. as people, you right? Get into a culture but what it like, does is it, it dehumanizes these, these people. Right. It, it dehumanizes Joseph Smith. Yeah. It dehumanizes Brigham Young Amen. because we can learn from their faults just as much as we can learn from their greatness. God gives us weaknesses because it makes us better. Yeah. Amen. And uh, in response to what you said about your dad is I think your dad now would say to you, uh, instead of uh, don't worry about being just like your dad. Because who you are is great. Yep. Be just like you. Yep. Be you. Thanks. Yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so... So I started listening and like I was driving to LA all the time. It was a 60 minute drive without traffic, like three hours with traffic. Right. Um, and so I had a lot of time to listen to podcasts. It wasn't the only podcast I was listening to, but I listened to a lot of Mormon stories at that time. And this was Mormon stories seven years ago. Right. I, I know it's changed a lot. I, I know John DeLynn from what I've seen of his journey also went through, like he went through, he went through some hell, man. Like he went through a lot of hell. Like, I I don't believe his excommunication was was the best thing, sure. I, and excommunication in general, especially when it comes to just like questions and doubts and other things like that. Um, I I don't believe in practice yeah. because it, it doesn't feel Christ like yeah. when it, it it can be, and I understand that. Anyway, that's a whole nother. Yeah. I, we don't need to go there. Um, so I was listening to a, a lot of Mormon stories and learning a lot and learning a lot of troubling things and things that caused me a lot of cognitive dissonance. So we talked about this before and I'll share it now. Cognitive dissonance is the feeling that you get. It's like a tension in your chest is maybe a way to describe it. Um, But it's, it's an emotion and you feel it when something that you believe to be fundamentally true is being challenged by either someone else's experience or by the reality that's in front of you. And it feels scary. It does not feel good. We don't want to approach it. We don't. It, we put our walls up and we go, mm-hmm. We don't want to touch it, right? And as a member of the church, I thought of it as the spirit leaving the room, right? Like, oh, yes. if I'm thinking about this, the, spirit, the spirit's gone. I need to run, right? It's fight or flight almost kicks in, really. But it's not a physical fight or flight. It's an emotional fight or flight and mental fight, almost, fight or flight. in a way like... The de- that's the that's of the devil. Yeah. Because of the way that I, the spirit, that idea of the evil, spirit leading the it's room. bad. Yeah. Right. Instead of approaching it and 
being able to, to, to think about it, think it through, ask questions on it, we, we tend to do the opposite and run away from it. Yeah. That's not okay. And I did a lot of that yeah. during this time, but I, I still kept listening, listening because, I mean, J. Ruben Clark said, like, if we have the truth, like, it, it, it should, I, whatever the quote, it'll withstand the challenge. It'll withstand it all, right? And, and honestly, like, as, as a Mormon, I think one of the, the core and greatest teachings of Joseph Smith is to seek after truth. Yes no matter what the cost, yes. right? No matter what is, is seek truth. And so that was my intent through the entire process. Um, I, so about five months went by, I started listening in January, May, I, I listened to Jeremy Runnels episode and Jeremy Runnels. Um, I don't necessarily agree at where I'm at now with, the approach to, have you heard of the CES letter? Yeah. Yeah. So he wrote the CES letter and it was, he was invited, like his dad knew uh, an institute director really well. And the institute director was like, write down your questions and I'll respond to you. Sure. Right. So he, he like, he did. Yeah. And it's like 120 pages, right. And of, of troubling history. And the, the reason I don't necessarily think it's think is the right thing for everyone. It might be for some people, but think it's the right thing for everyone is it's like, it's, it's like a fire hose. Right. And so it's like, boom, 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 all these things that cause doubt and cause you to be like, what the fuck? Right. Sorry, everybody. Um, but, but yeah. And so I listened to his podcast. I hadn't read the CES letter at that time and it was deeply troubling to me. I was in my Tacoma parked outside our, our town home. And I, I, like I, I finished the podcast. There was like 10 minutes left. So I just stayed in my truck and sitting there, like, I don't know how much time went by, but I just like sat. And it was the first time, even though I'd been listening to all this stuff and, and questioning and being like, this is, that's, that's troubling. Like, that's a problem. Like, I don't agree with that. I don't like that. And, and all these things that were, were causing me dissonance. It was the first time I, I said aloud and allowed my mind to even ask, what if it's not true? And I'll tell you that as soon as I allowed that to happen, everything crumbled down. I realized that what I had believed was a firm foundation of a testimony, a very strong testimony. Yeah, you're teaching other kids. I, I mean, I was a damn good missionary. Yeah, I, I, I was a good, good Mormon, right? I had a strong testimony. I bore it often and well, right? Yeah. And I believed it all, yeah. but it was built on sand. Yeah. And a, a year before that, I would have said, no way. That is not there. That's impossible. But everything crumbled. There's an analogy. And I just want to say, like, I'm saying all this not to cause any member to question, but I hope that it, it can open up the ability for you, for any of you that listen to this to have some understanding, yeah, right. Of, absolutely. of why, of why people might question and go through this. And cause, and I, I'll say it's, it's the hardest thing I've ever, ever done, Sure, ever done. Sure. 
I, I have to say at this point too, Brady, um, my grandpa, <clears throat> Brian Richards, who was a, he was in the Quorum of the Seventy at General Authority, which is pretty high up in the church in leadership, uh, helped write, preach my gospel, like he was in the missionary department, all these things. Um, he said to me one time when I was a young man, he said, every single person needs to have a Joseph Smith-like experience. And when I was young, right, I thought, well, do you want me to go pray on the seat God in Jesus? Like, is that the expectation? No, that's not what he meant. But what he meant is, you, you, whether you're born in the church or whether you're born outside the church, whatever, and you found, you know, you found the church and, and you've gained testimony, every single one of us individually has to approach God with questions if we care. Some people, hmm. you know, some of us that grow up don't care and we don't really try and connect that way. We just think we're here to live and die. But those of us and the majority of us that seek after truth, we have to approach God and say, hey, is this true? And, and or, or in other ways, like lead me to the truth. Or what if it's not true? Amen. It's the same question. Amen. Right? And so it's, that's not, that should not be a scary thing for us. And we should not, we should not in any way well, disrespect the don't, answers that people are Don't should on yourself first. So yeah. it is a scary experience. No, and At least mine was. I don't mean it's right? not a scary experience. I mean... We shouldn't shy away yeah. from encouraging everybody to do that. Yeah. If you're born in this church, then gosh darn it, before you go on a mission, I would expect that you you read the material and you get down on your knees and you ask God if it's not true. And you know what? If you go without knowing it is, then then maybe you need to stop yourself and go, okay, I'm doing this thing because everybody's telling me that mm. it's right. But you will be a much, if you're going to go and you are going to, and you truly want to go and serve and do what's right, then you better make sure it's, you find out that it's true before you go. Well, and I, the, the ironic thing is I had yeah. like, yeah, I knew it was true. Right. I, I knew it was true. Right. And so, and that's one of the things that made me a really good missionary yeah. is I believed it all. Yeah. Like I knew it. Yeah. Um, and so things change too, yeah. though, and yeah. people change yeah. and, and it's okay. Um, there's an analogy that'll help. Like when I say everything crumbled, right? Um, it's called, it, it's the breaking shelf. And so I remember um, certain things, even as like a teenager reading the Book of Mormon and on, on my mission, especially, because I was a lot more in depth in studying the scriptures, right? As, as a member. And there are certain things that it's like, it doesn't jive with me. But like, everything's so perfect. It all is so perfect. Like it all makes sense. And like, you know, I don't understand this now, but I put it on a shelf, right? You shelf it and it's okay because everything else makes sense and it's all great, right? Like um, there's the the vision of Nephi when, I'll just share one, right? Yeah. The, the vision of Nephi when it's like, he tells like the story of, of the Lamanites and what's going to happen. He sees everything. Then he sees like Columbus crossing the Americas and he sees like the colonial time in the Americas. And it's like, and then he sees Joseph, son of Joseph, right? All of these things. And I'm like, I remember as a teenager and on my mission, both times that being like, this is pretty convenient, right? Like that the vision stops at Joseph Smith. The vision doesn't keep going past Joseph Smith, but like, it, it very well could be that Joseph wrote this, right? Like that, that this was written by Joseph. I, I remember that and, and it kind of troubling me, but not, not really, right? It wasn't a problem for me, but it was like, 
it was more just like, huh. And then like, eh, whatever, like put it on the shelf, right? Because everything else feels right, feels good, makes perfect sense. It's perfect, right? And I, I believe that. And I had, I had a lot of people challenge me on my mission. Sure. I had a real, some really great discussions with an atheist family, with a companion of mine. And, and like, we did a really good job of standing up to, to their challenges of, of everything that we were teaching them. Like a really good job. Cause, and it all just made perfect sense. Right. Um, so you have that shelf and you put, you put your, your books on there, right. Your, your questions or your doubts. And it's like, I'll understand this later. And this is what something like, um, like in five months consuming a whole lot of troubling things with, with church history, which are real and, and historical. And like, it wasn't just reading, reading like anti-Mormon people. It was listening to Terrell Givens and Terrell Givens saying like the way Joseph Smith practiced polygamy was wrong. Right. And, and so like hearing a devout, like man who knows way more than I do, like address that and say that is like, whoa, like what? Right. And that's, that's a heavy book to put on a shelf. Right. And so for five months, like, it's like, oh man, like boom, 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 putting all these things. And I think that's the effect of like something like the CES letter is you consume, you put all these things on a shelf at once. Some are, are actually hold more weight and are more historically like significant and like tied to reality than, than some others, right. Within that, within the CES letter. But regardless, you put so much weight on this shelf that the shelf just snaps, right? Like, um, we, we hung a, a pretty big picture uh, as we moved in here recently with those command strips. Yeah. And it was the first time I've ever used command strips and I used one command strip oh. and it held it fine. Yeah. The next morning, boom, crash, the frame breaks, right? It all shatters. Yeah. And that's what happened to me. Yeah. Um, and so from that time I was obsessed. I became obsessed with history because for me, like my, my testimony was based in a lot like I had a lot of spiritual experiences. I had a lot of understanding and knowledge. I had studied the scripture. I had like, you look at my, my triple combination. It is marked up like, like no one else I've ever seen really. Right. Like I loved it. I loved it. And so I was obsessed with church history because for me, it's like, I had to know, like, if I'm gonna, if, if I'm going to leave this, if I'm going to say, I like, this isn't true for me anymore. Like, I had to know, yeah, like I had to be sure. Kind of like what I was saying about going on a mission. Yeah. Make sure you're sure. Yeah, yeah. And so I was, I was obsessed with it for six months. It consumed me. Like I, I was very depressed, yeah. very depressed. For, for about six months after that time, I'm obsessed with church history, and I'm, I'm in the darkest place I've ever been yeah. in, in my life. And um, it was like four or five months after that, that, that my wife actually like looked into certain things. And one thing I, I have to say that like I love about my wife is the whole time I was going through this, I, I would tell her like, I know, like, I, I don't, I don't believe this anymore. And I know you, I, I was transparent with her the whole sure. time, which is really important for, for me. Sure. And, but I'm trying to protect her at the same time. Yeah. And, and I told her like, I know, like, even though, even though I don't believe this anymore, like I, I know the church is a good thing and there's so much in it that like giving up that is, is really scary and hard too. It's all I knew, right. As growing up and raising kids and everything else. Yeah. Historically it's in, yeah. Yeah. And so I would tell her like, even though, even though this is where I'm at, like I I'll still go with you for the rest of my life. Like I'll go. And, and her response was always, I would never ask you to do that. And 
I've respected that so much. And, um, and she, she went through her own process and she actually stopped going to church before I did. Um, and, and so she stopped going to church and I went for a couple months after. And the last time I attended a ward where like my records were there and, and they knew me was, um, I, I taught a Sunday school lesson and it was all about Christ. Cause I could still, uh, that was still it for me. Right. I, I would feel a lot of cognitive dissonance in, in testimony meetings. And a lot of times I'm like, that's not really the way it happened or others. And it, it bugged me. Right. And it was hard to go to church in that place. It was really hard to go to church. But, um, I, I taught a Sunday school lesson on Jesus and, and the love of Christ and how we can, how we can live from that place. And then I never went again. <laughs> um, so, uh, I'm going to try to speed the, up this story now. Um, I hope that offers a understanding. And I know not everyone has that same experience. Right. I know like someone could listen to the exact same things and read the exact same, same things that I've read. There are people that have and still, still like strengthen their testimony and, and remain in the church. And the beauty of it though is it, it's so awesome that we can talk about it and not be bothered by somebody else being different than us. Yeah. And, and if we can't get to that point in our culture and in our society, then, then we've got a lot bigger problems in our lives than where we're going to church on Sunday. Uh, and it, it's showing up in the world today. Right. It, it's very apparent yes. in the world today. Yes. Um, and it, it is a problem. I think it's, in, in my opinion, it's the problem Dude, I, that we all I face. I love you more now understanding the differences that we have than I knew before because my love for you before was based on commonalities. It was based on this is easy. I can love this guy. He loved his mission. We can talk about our missions all day. He loves Jesus, right? Yeah. So that's easy. But but when it's when when cog, that the whole idea of cognitive dissonance and when things are when I have to approach things that make me kind of go, huh, I don't agree with that, or it makes me question something. That's where, that's where we shine with, do we know how to love or not? Mm-hmm. You will always be safe with me. You will always be my friend. Because Thank you, I brother. know that that's the way you treat me. And that, to me, is light. And light leads us to God. No matter what you believe, no matter who you are, that is what it's all about. Light and love. And that's, you know, to me, that's everything. So I, I couldn't have gotten, I, I, I couldn't have arrived at the place of grace without going through the depression and the darkness of leaving the church. I, because I couldn't understand. Sure. I couldn't understand why, why someone else would do that. Right. How, how could I? Yeah. Um, because also I wasn't, I, I, you don't have to go through it, right. You don't have to, to arrive at a space of grace, right. You have to go through your shadow, whatever that is, right. To accept and love yourself. Um, if you don't do that, if you don't give yourself grace, you can't hold grace for other people. Amen. Um, so I... Wait a second. You don't, you don't believe in Jesus anymore. How can you be saying all this wisdom about grace? I love grace. That was beautiful. In Buddhism, it's equanimity, yeah. right? Equanimity, it, to me, has like grace and balance yeah. within it, right? Like, yeah. It's a word that's like, what does that really mean, right? It's one you have to like look up in a dictionary in a way. Um, but for me, equanimity like em- encompasses grace and balance. Um, so I was out of balance. When, when, I, when I left the church, when we stopped going, 
I was out of balance. Um, I, I know it. And I, I took a pendulum swing from true believing, never having questioned God in my life, right? Like knowing God existed and having felt God in my life and seen it and, and everything, um, to what, what the hell do I, what, what is this all about now? Like literally, like you have to understand, like being raised in Mormonism, especially it is your worldview. Yeah. Like it's, it's the way you see and color everything. Our, our beliefs are how we color life. Right. And, and it's the way it's the lens through which we see everything. And that lens, Internally, not that lens birth. broke. It, it shattered. Right. And so it's like, what the hell? Like what, what is anything about? Right. And life was, it became pretty meaningless for me and it was hard. I was depressed for a while, for a long while afterward. Um, and I didn't know what I believed. I, I found, I, I still was seeking truth and, and I was always seeking truth and I, and, and I wanted to live well. That was, that was where I landed for, for a long time. And it's still a deep part of, of like my core is I want to live well. And so a few things helped me. I highly recommend, I, my acting teacher, um, introduced me to the book, the four agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz in my early twenties. And even as a member, it resonated with me greatly. It was like such an important space for me to land. And, and, but this time around, like I, I practiced it. Like I was chain. it's uh, the four agreements. Oh man. Let's see if I remember them. <laughs> um, be impeccable with your word. Never take anything personally. Um, never make assumptions and always do your best. That's awesome. Th- those are the four agreements. Yeah. And by, by adopting those agreements in your life, you break the way he describes it in the book is you break the, the agreements that are untrue, that are, that are based in illusion, that are, that are not real. Almost that sometimes that we set up in our own brain. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Because we make all kinds of assumptions like about that, people. The idea of don't take anything personal. That is so true. Cause I, I'm not, when I say something, questioning somebody, I'm not trying to attack somebody, but in that person's mind, what happens nine times out of 10, they take it personally. Like you're coming at me, you're, you're coming after me. And even if it is like you're coming, if, if someone is coming after me, which I've had people like come after me yeah. and be very, very mean to me, yeah. right. In, in leaving the church yeah. and in like Facebook conversations yeah. and yeah. other things. Right. Yeah. And like, I have like practicing that is this isn't about me. Peace. This is about them yeah. and it's okay. Like I can still love them. Right. And so, and then I can respond with grace, right? Because it's not about me and it's, it's there. It's the cognitive dissonance that my experience is causing them that causes them to lash out in a way. Right. And so, um, so that was very fundamental for me. Um, stoicism and Ryan Holiday's book, the daily stoic. It's, it's like those, I I had some like Gordon B. Hinckley's every day. It has like a quote and things, right? The daily stoic has, has stoic quotes from Marcus Aurelius, uh, Epictetus, like these ancient like stoics that, that taught really great fundamental philosophy, practical philosophy. So I was all about practical philosophy that also like Buddhism was another really great thing. And Zen Buddhism in particular, I I enjoy and enjoyed. Um, but the idea of God was very dissonant for me Uh at this, at this time. Well, I imagine that you felt, you felt lied to. If this is really a place you were, you felt lied to. And so your, your question all of a sudden goes, I trusted you. I did all these things in my life for you. Now I'm here and I don't even know if you're there because if you are, then I've got a, a much bigger problem to deal with because if all of a sudden you're there, then I'm going, 
why the heck was I led down this path when I trusted you with all my heart? That's not what I knew about you. And there's all kind of regret that comes up. Like, understand that for someone that leaves the church, right, you go through the stages of grief. If you don't know those, look them up. Um, But anger is a very big part of that. And it's a valid experience. It is a real experience. And I was angry. I had been lied to, right? Very much. And lots of regret. Like if I didn't go on my mission, what would have happened? What would, what would my acting career have actually turned into if I didn't depart for two years and come back kind of a strange guy, right? Like with a weird accent and like very like uptight, right? Like coming back into the world and trying to get back into acting of all things in like the entertainment industry in that space, right? What, what would my life have been like without the church? You probably wouldn't have married Abby, which is your biggest blessing. Well, and that's where that's, that was the, that's the understanding too, right? Is like, despite the regrets, despite all of that, I love my life. I love exact. I love what is now and I wouldn't change a thing. Um, that that's a, a mantra I learned is thank you for everything. I, I wouldn't change a thing. That mindset is beautiful. Um, and so keep going on that. Like, how did you come through this thing to get there? Um, so <laughs> it, I started practicing meditation mainly the the motivation was because I, I was a distracted person, sure. right? I, um, I've often attributed myself to having undiagnosed ADD, yeah. right? Um, and I wanted to be able to focus better. So I started practicing meditation and with meditation, it's inevitable that you start looking at the way that you're thinking. Sure. You can't help it because you're sitting there doing nothing, yeah. but trying to focus on your breath. And when you're just trying to focus on, this is Zen, a Zen approach, right? When you're, all you're doing, your intention is just to focus on the sensations of the breath and the nose. But guess what your mind does? Your mind doesn't want to do that, especially distracted mind like mine was. It's like all, all sorts of things start popping up and you, and you start going down like total rabbit holes of thought. Brady, yeah. straight up ADD and my gosh, my brain goes to like everything you can think of. Right. And so, and you go down these deep routes, you can literally get lost in like a train of thought for like 10 minutes. Yeah. And then finally you're like, wait a minute. What like, am I supposed to be thinking about? Oh yeah. Oh, I'm supposed to be coming back to my breath. So here's an insight that was really important for me. The natural thing for me to do is like, dang it. Like, oh, I got, um, oh, dang it. I, I'm thinking about these things. I'm supposed to be focused on the breath. That's not how we train our brains. That's not how we work. We work with reward systems. And so instead of thinking, dang it, and starting to come back to the breath, that's a negative feeling yeah. and experience. You're training your brain to not respond well to catching yourself that you've gotten distracted. And who are you pointing that at? Yourself, shame and, and, and yeah. Right. And so instead the trick is to appreciate the insight, to recognize one, even though it's tiny little thing, it's a tiny thing to say, wait, what am I supposed to be doing? I'm supposed to be focused on the breath and coming back to the breath. That is meditation in the beginning, right? It's not true. It's not being in a meditative state, right? It, when you start practicing meditation, you're not really meditating. I, what you're doing is you're training your focus, I was gonna say, training I, attention. I don't know what meditation means. I'm trying to empty my brain. I'm like, I don't know how to do that. I can never yeah. empty my brain. And it's focusing on your breathing. Well, as far as emptying the brain goes, like it actually got kind of scary Bad. to be like, 
I don't have any thoughts. Like in, even like throughout the day, like driving and it's like, is, is, is this a problem? Like, am I, am I losing my mind? Literally? Like, am I losing my mind? I'm not thinking. Yeah. But like, we aren't meant to think all the time. We really aren't meant to think all the time. It not only is it, it's a restorative place to, for me, it's where I, it's where I meet God. Um, and, and allow, uh, allow restoration, allow healing, allow, allow that. So anyway, I, I had started practicing meditation. I was agnostic leaning atheist. Like if I had to take a wager, I would wager God didn't exist at this sure. time. Sure. And, um, and the idea of God, like I said earlier, was dissonant to me. I, I didn't want to touch it. Um, but practicing meditation, I was starting to practice touching what was uncomfortable. Yeah. And I, I had begun that like with, with studying church history and all of that, right. Touching the things that were uncomfortable to me. Um, and, and meditation taught me to do it a little more subtly. I started practicing yoga because I needed to lose weight. Right. And we talked earlier, like yoga was, is the first exercise that I've fallen in love with. Yeah. And, and, and yoga, the thing I love about it is it's not just exercise. And in fact, I don't even think of it as exercise now, right? Like it's not exercise for me. It is very holistic because it's also spiritual practice an emotional practice, a, a presence practice, a mental practice and a physical practice all in one. And actually yoga means, um, it's, it, it's yoke yeah. to yoga is to yoke. Yeah. Right. And so you're yoking your mind, your body, and your emotions into, into one. That's really cool. Right. So Brady and I actually, before we sat down to talk, we actually, I, I came over and we did yoga together. Brady, Brady taught me yoga. I've done it twice this week. First time I've ever done it. And it's been awesome. And I'll tell you, you know, um, as somebody whose mind goes a thousand miles a minute as I'm doing it and I'm trying to focus on my stretching and doing these certain things in my body, I felt very, very good. Like it, it just, like I felt things in my body that I don't know that I've ever felt before in a very good way. Mm -hmm. very, very in tune, I think is a, is a good way of putting it. Yeah. And what we talked about during that a lot was it's being there for your body. Yeah. We don't, we don't want to touch our physical trauma and our physical pain either. Yeah. It hurts. Yeah. So we push it down and we ignore it and we numb it and it's still there, but it's just beneath the surface and it's, it's causing us anger. It's causing us sadness. It's causing us grief. It's manifesting in all kinds of ways. Right. But, but really what it needs is for us to look at it. Yeah. It needs us to hold it. It needs us to, to embrace it and love it. Part of the thing that you said that really stood out to me, and I told you about an experience I had with Bailey, who was, uh, the second interview, the, the, she's episode number three, I think, where mm -hmm. she has cancer. She put her hands on her heart and she literally out loud spoke to her body and, and offered forgiveness and grace right um you mentioned that several times we're doing yoga you, you talked about offering your body forgiveness and letting your body feel certain things and and then and then you i think i don't remember the way you put it but you said almost giving your body gratitude for certain things like being appreciative of certain things your body's doing and it made me just stop and think in my mind i'm going you know i've been given this body like this is a this is i don't I don't, I, I can't control the aging of this body. There's not much I can control, but what I can, um, what I can control is what I put into it, the um, circumstances that I put it within. And, and that in all reality is affecting, it's a big effect on my body is what I'm, what I'm choosing to do with it. 
And so I need to offer my body a little forgiveness every once in a while because sometimes all I like to eat is peanut M&Ms and that's not very good for my diet, for my, for my body. But, but I think that is a beautiful thing with that whole idea of parenting is you talk to your body, you talk to, why wouldn't we do that? Yeah. That's, that's a beautiful thing, I think. Yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful practice. Um, Sorry. I forgot what I was going to say because I was going to say something along. Oh, so um, it, Thich Nhat Hanh, who I love, um, and his, his, the way he writes is, is super meditative just in and of itself. But I, I learned this practice from him. And it's, it's talk to your body, like be with your body. And so like right now we could practice it. Like if you're listening, close your eyes and first sink into your body, feel it, like feel the sensations of, of your butt and your seat, right? And feel the seat, feel the pressure, feel the temperature of the room, feel, feel the, the sensation of the air on your skin. It's very subtle, right? And then give a little space and say, hello, body. I'm, I'm sorry I haven't been here for you. I'm sorry for the ways I've ignored you. I'm sorry for the pain that I've caused you from choices that I've made and, and habits that I've, I've created, the way that I've approached you and, and how I engage with you. Thank you. Thank you for your patience with me. Thank you for supporting me. Thank you for being my vehicle to, to live, to feel, to love, to be here now, right? I love you. Thank you. And right, our bodies are impermanent. We're impermanent, right? Maybe not our essence. That's to be determined, right? I'm, I'm very open to continuation after death. Um, no death, no re like, you know, um, no birth, no death is a Buddhist thing. I am not, a, I'm not a practicing Buddhist also. Right. I actually, like if I had to, if I had to say what I am, I'd say I'm probably Mormon. Like I'm, I'm what Joseph Smith described as Mormon, which is like, if you find something, and honestly, it's what Joseph Smith did. Like, if you really look at Joseph Smith's psychology, like, if he, if he found something that felt good and right, he embraced it. masonry, right? And uh, yeah, even eternal families was like an idea in the time. Um, the Native Americans being like, uh, you know, Israelites was, was a thing at the time. Like there's, there were a lot of things that like em, he embraced and, and went with and expounded yeah. upon, right? And so maybe I'm Mormon. Um, <laughs> and and the, the irony is Mormons aren't Mormons anymore either, right? Yeah. They're, they're Latter-day Saints or members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The beautiful thing about that, though, is anything that's good and that's life, we're supposed to seek after those things. You actually quoted an article of faith before we started recording. Yeah. That is one of the articles of faith of the Church is anything that is good, that is truthful, that is virtuous. We seek Anything that is virtuous, lovely, or of good report, or praiseworthy, yes. we seek after these things. And, and, that, and I live that way. Like, that is my core. That's what I want to talk to you. And anything we look at in life, that if people are trying to live a good life and trying to love and just want that in their life, want to surround themselves with that, but be that as well, then why don't we stop more and look at them? And, and no matter what we believe, personally, that's a child of God. If we, if we connect ourselves to God and light and we should just be excited about that. Like well, rally around each other. Look at, 
right before that. Um, it's, and give me a second because I have to sing the song in my head that I learned as a little kid, right? <laughs> um, we believe all things. We hope all things. We have endured many things and we hope to be able to endure all things. What a great principle. Amen. What a great principle. And like, I've endured many things, right? Like I have. And you were a blind kid that got sold a bird. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so anyway, so I, I do want, and maybe this will be the last like tangent or, sure. or path that we go down sure. for tonight or today, yeah. whatever. What time is it? Um, so I had started practicing meditation. I'd started practicing yoga. I was a beginner, yeah. like very, very beginner. Right. Like but, but that principle that I talked about, right. Of like catching myself and saying, Hmm, wait a minute. There's something to that. Right. Most of the time we say, Oh, why do I do this? Why do I do that? And it's with judgment. It's like, Oh, I hate that about myself. Right. Mm-hmm. When really all it takes is flipping the tone. Why do I do that? Let's explore that. If you're curious, yes. why do I do that? And then ask and listen, why do I do that? So Abby showed me a song. I was, I listen, I still listen to a lot of instrumental music. I love cello. I love piano music. Like David Tolk was my jam on my mission. Um, and even like Tab, Motab, yeah. right? Consider the Lilies. I love that album. Yeah. Um, you have a didgeridoo for crying out loud. I have a lot of weird instruments. <laughs> I love weird instruments. Awesome. <laughs> um, so Abby showed me a song by, um, it, the band name is Sleeping at Last. It's just one one man. Um, and he does a lot of music on Grey's Anatomy, I guess, right? Cool. Um, but she showed me one of his original songs called Sun. He did an album called Space. And it the first song is Sun, Mars, earth, moon, and it goes through like all the planets, right? And it's, it's a beautiful album. Yeah. I love the album. Yeah. And it, it's very orchestral and, and beautiful music. And his words are so poetic and so full of light. You will love it. Like awesome. you'll love his music. Awesome. But in that song, I loved the song and she showed it to me because she thought I would love the song. Tell me his name one more time. Sleeping at Last. Okay. And in that song, there's, there's a line that says, um, we are the dust of dust. We are the apple of God's eye. I was very dissonant with the word God at that time. And so hearing that, like I loved the song, but I was like, mm, this isn't for me, right? This isn't going to be for me. But because I had started practicing what I had just described, I stopped myself and I said, wait a minute. Okay. God is a word. Let's just break it down, right? God is a word. There's lots of names for God, right? Allah, Buddha. Bu- Buddha. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Yes. Lots. Yeah. Um, some would say LeBron. James, Elohim. Right? Uh, some. <laughs> some. Anyway, yeah. I, that's yeah. Anyway. Some would say Mike Gregson. Yeah, yeah, I don't know about that. I do. Yeah. Um, so I stopped myself though, and I was like, "Wait a minute. Okay, God is a word. Whatever that word means, whatever that word points to, because words." are symbols. That's all words are, are symbols. And they point to things, right? So whatever it points to, it doesn't have a problem. I have a problem. I have the problem. I have a problem with God. So what is the problem? What, what is it? 
and it, 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 I found through meditation and through a little bit of plant medicine, <laughs> I, it was at that time that I had also first tried marijuana, sure. right? And I say that uh, hoping that everyone listening suspends judgment sure. because, um, yeah, yeah. Anyway, it, that's a whole nother topic. We know there's some very good things about marijuana and we're just kind of like yeah. discovering them. So, yeah. And I had never, like, I had never touched coffee before, yeah. uh, before leaving the church. Yeah. I did, like, I was a very good Mormon boy. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, and, but regardless, it helped to open my mind and it helped me to, mm-hmm. to think a lot more creatively and think a lot more deeply, especially like meditating with that, sure. with that as a guide and a help. And, um, I remember uh, shortly after that, um, getting high and meditating, staring into a mirror and just looking at myself and seeing my grandfather in my face, seeing my cousin and, and my mom in my face and seeing, seeing everything that makes me, me. And, and also understanding that if, if the idea or the word of God is anything, it's a mirror. And what we see as God is really a reflection of ourselves, of, of what we're bringing, of what we aspire to, of what we hope for, of what we, of what we dream of, right? As, as being good, as goodness. And um, it was shortly after that, that meditating, I had an insight. And this, was a, this is a deep insight for me. And it is a core belief for me. And it's that belief is an art. It is not a science. I, I believe that, uh, approaching belief as a science, as true and false, as this is true, that is not true, um, was a big hindrance for me in my life. And it's what caused me to create a testimony that I thought was strong, but was actually built on sand and built on illusions. Um, and so instead when I approach belief as an art, like just as an analogy alone, right? You and I could look at the same piece of art on a wall and have a completely different experience. Same with music, any, any art form, right? Like I'm not a huge country music fan. I've come around a little more to it, but there was a time in my life when I'm like, country is bad. Like country is bad music, yeah. right? But there are millions of people that love country music. Are they wrong? Are they bad because they love that? Absolutely not. It's their taste. It's what speaks to them. It's what resonates with them, right? And and in their heart. And so... And sometimes it's what they grew up in and that's all they know. Yeah, right. absolutely, right? And so sometimes... That's actually a really good way... That's a good way of putting it, right? Um, And and sometimes it takes journeying out of that and being like, you know what? I'm I'm actually done with that now. I'm that music isn't serving me anymore or I don't, I'm actually liking this kind of art now. Right. And it's, it's what's speaking to me and it's what's guiding me in my life. And I think the important thing is that we don't reject belief, right? Don't, don't deny belief because even if, even if someone's beliefs aren't tied to the idea of God, right? Humanism is a beautiful, beautiful belief system some of the best people I know are atheists. And so Buddhists are atheists. They don't believe in the idea of God, right? Buddhism does not have that concept within it. And so are they bad? Is that wrong? Many people don't, 
millions, billions of people don't believe in Jesus. Are they wrong? Are they bad? And does that mean that as, as a, someone from the LDS church, right, the Church of Jesus Christ of the Saints, um, it's, it's interesting in, in the culture we say, well, we know there's going to be people that aren't members of our church that make it to heaven, obviously. I mean, why would God do this if, if he didn't love us and we know he loves us? There's truth and light and everything. But what's so funny is when it comes to accepting those who have different, it's like we don't want to sit down at the table and have that conversation to understand what they believe and then take what they believe and what they know to be true and, and add that to our understanding to make us better. Like We can all make each other better. I had a really cool, Brady, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just share this real quick. You're going to, you'll appreciate this. So at my hotel, the, they're filming the show The Chosen. Mm-hmm. That? Yeah. They're filming season two right now in uh, Goshen, I believe, uh, Utah. Let's see if Goshen or Gunnison wanted to. But um, the, the one who plays Jesus Christ, his name is Jonathan. And uh, I met him for just a minute in the hall. We talked for a bit. Super nice guy. Like this, you could tell just by him looking in, in your eyes and stuff that he really cared about who you were. He's not Jesus in real life. That's all I'm saying. But you could just tell that, like, there's a reason they picked this guy, right? Um, anyway, just really cool guy. Just small aside, yeah. even Jesus in real life is different than any of us think Jesus yeah. was in real life. Yeah. So two weeks later, I come walking out of my office and into the lobby, and he's sitting there. And, and we made eye contact right off the bat, and I walked up to him, and I said, hey, I totally forget your name, but I know you play Jesus. And he goes, yeah, my name is Jonathan. He goes, you're Mike, right? And I'm like, wow, that's, that's really cool. But I, as we were sitting there talking, I just said to him, I said, you know, um, I, I can imagine as an actor, and you know this, as an actor, you really try and put yourself in the shoes of the role that you're playing. You try and take that, this idea or persona of who you think that, that part is that you're playing, you try and embrace that and you try and really live in that so that you can act it out the best that you can. You become that. Mm-hmm. And I said, understanding that about actors, um, how, what do you do to prepare to play Jesus Christ? And, and, and he looked at me for a second. He goes, that's a really good question. And I think about it every day. I go and, and do acting. And he said, and he had a, he had a sweatshirt on that had a cross on it. So he's, he's definitely Christian and he's from the Middle East. And, and he said to me, he goes, I think of humanity. You said that word, Brady. He said, I think of humanity. And I think of, of what Christ did, tried to do when he plugged himself into humanity. He tried to lift. He tried to love. It didn't matter who people were marginalized or whatever, he went to those people and he tried to lift them to a new level, a new level of thinking, a new level of understanding who they were, providing value for them. And, and he also surrendered to those who misunderstood him. Yes. And, and that to me, I just, I kind of thought, you know, of all the answers he could have given humanity, humanity, I think in my understanding of God, that defines my Heavenly Father, God, to me, as much as anything else, is His love for each individual person on this earth. His love for them. Why would He, if He loves me, and I know He loves someone else just as much as He loves me, why would He put them in a totally different circumstance than me, which seems a lot less than I have, and do that as some type of punishment because He doesn't love them like He does love me? That's, that's not true. And so that, what that means to me, and what that means to my understanding is, I need to reach out more. I need, I, I, I'm good where I'm at in my beliefs, but I know that I still have so much growing to do in them. And the day that I stop, that means I need to figure something else out because that's not what he wants for me. When you 
when you start seeing God in everyone's eyes, you realize you have so much to learn from everyone's experience. And make it safe for them because yeah. you hope they'll make it safe for you. I was introduced to an idea recently by my tabla teacher, who is a very spiritual, wonderful man, Ty Burho. And his music's wonderful too. If you look it up, Ty Burho has very peaceful, loving cool. music. Um, and this comes from a, a background of, it's called Nada Yoga, which right. Nada means sound, okay. right? And so um, that God, the great Om, right? So... Uh, uh, this is let's let's make this the last thing we talk sure. about. Oh, let's talk about is is now what's my concept of yeah. of the divine yeah. of God? Um, I had an experience early on when I started to like redefine what that word means for me, right? And question what what is it? What is it all? Right? What is God? Um, and it it was almost visionary in a way, and it felt very visual. Um, but like seeing every, like think of everything all the way down to the microcosm of like uncountable, unfat, like there is not a number. It is infinite. How many, just on our planet, it is infinite. How many living things exist, how life is manifested. Right. And then, so you can go down to the microcosm and you can go up to the macrocosm, right. Out to solar systems, universes, everything, right? And everything is existing. Like everything's right now. Everything is now. And, um, heaven, I believe heaven is now. I believe Jesus said that very clearly too. When you actually read, when you, maybe when you have eyes to see and ears to hear, right. As he would say it, but the kingdom of heaven is now the kingdom of heaven is inside us. The kingdom of heaven is everywhere. It's everything that exists right now to the macrocosm, to the microcosm, it is now. And now is always heaven. The past doesn't exist anymore. The future doesn't exist yet. Now is. And that's, so that's one way of representing it. I really love, um, I really like Hinduism. It's fun. It's fun. <laughs> um, and it's, uh, it's polytheistic, right? But, but all of like the ideas and images of all of the gods from my, this is my very white understanding of Hinduism. Okay. So, um, it is not cultural Hinduism. It's my version and it's what I take from it. Um, and so I'm, yeah, whatever. Uh, so all of those like images and different gods and Shiva and, and Brahma and Krishna and all these different like gods that exist. And there's female gods and male gods and all these different things. And they represent different like en energies and they, and, and different energies. And like Kali is this God that's literally like this woman. That's just like this, this the black skin, dark woman, her foot's on Shiva and she just has knives in her mouth's dripping blood. And it's like, that's a scary image, yeah. right? It's like yeah. a weird image. Yeah. Um, so there's all sorts of weird stuff within it. I, I totally embrace that, but they all exist within like the God Brahman is the name of it. So Brahman is like everything it's, and the symbol for Brahman is Om. They have a physical sim, like a, an actual like symbol. But then the sound, om, and people will will use that as a mantra, om, om, om. And what om is, is the vibration of 
existence. It's the vibration underneath everything. And we know metaphysically now, like we can actually see that all things are made up of vibration and everything's moving. moving. It's all vibrating. Everything is vibrating. And so at, at the center of every cell are protons and electrons flying around and moving. Everything is moving from the microcosm to the macrocosm. It's all moving. And so with that in mind, I can see God in your eyes. I can see God in a barista's eyes at Starbucks. I can see it in the checkout line, right? And when you approach a human being, an animal, a plant from this perspective of that's God, you can literally worship with like adoration, right? You can adore and love everything. You can love it all. And and learn from it all. Yeah. Everything has something to teach us. It's beautiful. Everything does. And why would it hinder us from growing and, and loving and just embracing more the idea of light and truth? And harmonizing. Amen. Because it's, so it's a sound yeah. too, right? It's the sound. Yeah. And oftentimes I am in dissonance in my life. Yeah. Oftentimes I'm distracting or it's, I mean, we live in a society of distraction and we're pushing down emotions. We're pushing people away. We're pushing everything away because we're afraid. We're afraid of pain. We're afraid of suffering. And we attach to the things that, that we think will make us feel good when really all we need to do is let go. And if something's out of harmony, how do we harmonize it? How do we sing to that? How do we, and, and uh, Alma, right, talks about, it, can you sing the song of everlasting love, yes. right? And if, if you felt that, can do you, you feel it now? Can you sing it now? And so that, that for me is what, what I resonate most with. And I, I now, so I've swung from the pendulum of a very um, dogmatic view of God to uh, atheist, and I love, I, my way is the middle way. And I love, I love people who are dogmatic. I love people who are atheists. And, um, and everyone's journey will change. And if it's not changing, you're clinging. And, and I invite you maybe to see where, where you may need to let go. Yeah. Bria, yeah, it's, it's so fun to talk to you. And um, I just, I appreciate the fact that you, I look at the pattern of your life and the pattern of your life is seeking and it's growing and it's understanding and never in any way have you made it seem as if or pointed to the fact that it's all about you. That's what's special about you is is I watch the way you live your life and I see the way you embrace people and you care about people. Um, and, and there's just a, there's a love that is coming from you for others, living your life great, kind of like you said earlier, right? Living well. Living well. And, and I just, my gosh, like, I love that. Like, I want you in my circle. Do you know what I'm, you know what I'm saying by that? Yeah. I want to be in your circle. Likewise, and, yeah. And you're the kind of people that, that, to me, you know, will just help me grow and learn. And, and I hope that I can do something that helps you as well, but... Most importantly, I know I have a safe place that I, I can always come to to feel loved and to know that that everything's okay. So my I, final thought. Yeah, please. Then I've got one more question for you. Okay. We got, we got yep. She's gonna have my hide. <laughs> so my final thought, and it, and it comes from what you just said, is uh, when you said it. It's not about me, right? Um, first, I learned that from acting. 
take the focus off yourself. Yeah. If you're focused on you, you're going to be nervous. You're yeah. going to think whatever. So there's that. But my final thought is this. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh under the Father, but through me. An insight that I had that I hold to be true, and I'm okay if other people don't agree with it, is that I don't think Jesus was talking about Jesus. I think what he was saying was, I am the way. Mike is the way. I am the way. Always, I am. I am that I am. That was Moses' deepest insight and teaching. I am that I am. So I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. It's it's a thin line. It's a fine line of like, oh wow, I'm I'm so great, or I'm I'm I am God, right? In in that mindset, but but that's why I like that idea of Brahman. Everything is. Everything is. So how do you find how do you find God? Through me. Not me, Brady. Not me at all. It has nothing to do with Brady at all, and I believe it has. My, my personal doctrine of Jesus as, my, as a master is it's, it's not through Jesus. It's through me. And, and that's like, I invite everyone to say that to themselves, right? Not, not putting anyone up on a pedestal, but putting everyone up, I get, raising everyone I up. I get what you're saying. Yeah. You know, all creations come from God. And so God is within us. He craves us into existence is what my, my tablet teacher taught me. Yeah, and he said, love is a tricky word. And so he likes the word craves us into it. Every breath comes from like, we don't choose to breathe. It just, it breathes us. Right. And so we're craved into existence. He wants everything to be alive. Everything that is right now, he wants it that way as it is. That's beautiful. And that doesn't change. She actually, I like, I like she better yeah. because it, it causes that click of like, wait, 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 what are you talking about? It's not the, it's yeah. Anyway. I, the beautiful thing about that is I've thought about that a lot. Um, in the new Testament, John, John 15 talks about the vine and the branches and, and the branches are nothing without the vine. We, we don't have any existence. And, and I, so the thing I love about what you just said is I don't have to change how I feel about Christ and how I revere him and how sacred Amen. As my Savior, He is. I Amen. That, but it, it, it allows me to look at that and understand my connection with God. What a wonderful guide. Yeah. And what a wonderful, like, grace. Awesome. He taught. Okay, so last question for you. Yep. Um, and I like to ask this to everybody, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing your answer, Brady. But with throughout your journey, there were difficult days for you. There were hard things that you've gone through. Obviously, whole earth-shattering, life-changing things. Um what, what is the gift that you've received as you've gone through Brady's journey? What's the gift you've received? It's, there, there's a number of them or, or different words. Um, grace, understanding, compassion, compassionate care. would, I would say, would be like the kernels of it. If I, it's really hard to describe things with words. I love those words. But some of the things we talked about today are, are gifts that I've received. Insights are, are gifts for me. And again, like if I hadn't, if I haven't been through my shadow that I've been through, I couldn't 
be with anyone else through theirs. And what I, what I really love to do is hold space for people. I love holding space for healing. And, and so that's, that, that was like being able to do that first for myself. I found forgiveness. I always sought forgiveness. I always sought it as a member of the church and I never really felt it. It never washed over me. And I found forgiveness when I didn't believe in God, when I didn't believe in Jesus, when I didn't read it at all. I found forgiveness and I found love and I found grace in, in that. In, and so, like, if I can find it there and in, in my darkest moments, and like, I have to be there for me first, right? I have to love myself and when we truly love ourselves, when we truly love and have grace and compassion and understanding for ourselves and our own weakness, our humanness, right? The humanness that we are and love all of it. If I can't do that, then I can't love all of anyone else. I love it. That, that's beautiful. That is beautiful. Humanity. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Brady, I love you, man. Love you too. I'm proud of you. I, I uh, you know, I, I think the world of you and your family and I'm just grateful that um, there's no barriers between us man like that's what I love right I, it's just it's a it's I love I love your journey I, I love you as a person I love your family and you know I, I am grateful for the lessons that you've learned that have helped me to broaden my understanding broaden my horizons and uh, especially give me the desire to like really try and be there for those that are on their spiritual journeys making them feel like they're safe to do that because that is beautiful. So it's. I think it is. It is the thing we we all need to be called to yeah. right now. Yeah. Because there's a lot of pain and there's a lot of misunderstanding in the world. And there's it's it's rampant. And so all we can do is do that for the person right in front of us. We don't have to do it for everybody. Love you, man. Love you too. Thanks, man. Thank you for tuning in to Come Towards Delight the podcast. I truly hope you enjoyed today's show. I would love to hear your feedback. You can subscribe to this podcast and leave a review on Apple Podcast or any podcast platform you use. If you or someone you know has a delightful story to share that I need to talk to, please email me at cometowardsdelight at gmail.com. And then what happens to us is we look at them on the streets, panhandling or whatever. We also look at them and go, oh, "There's a lazy." Yeah, if he was just not so lazy, he could go get a job. I know McDonald's is hiring all the time. Go get a job. Get you know, get clean yourself up and go get a job. That's not fair. And I and I and I think, Mark, I, I thank you, thank you for thank you. You, you've got so much wisdom, and, and and I think I think there's so much value in what you're saying, not only for alcoholics but just in life in general. And I and I, I want to make sure we're not differentiating. Like alco- like I'm a regular dude. If sure. you saw me, you would have no idea. No I'm idea. An alcoholic. No so idea. So it doesn't. You know, it's a disease I have. It's a brain disorder. The American Medical Association says it is. Sure. Most of us humans don't think it's a disease. Sure. We think it's a moral defect. Um. But we're, um, I assure all of your listeners that sitting in church with you are some alcoholics yeah. and some drug addicts and some 
porn addicts and yep. some other things. Yep. And what we need is support and love. God loves yeah. that. Right. There's no value lost. Right. So it's and it's difficult because it looks like a different disease than cancer. Yes. You yes. Know, we all have sympathy for the dude that's got cancer, and we want to be there. But and that show guy's up. not, you know, stealing our security and our money and all that. So they they behave a little differently, but they are classified exactly the same by the American Medical Association as Interesting. diseases. Interesting. So, and and one of the things I'll do, I'll just talk about, and then and then I think um, just some closing thoughts for and sure. questions Thank for you. you. Um, my experience, Mark, I, 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 I know when I was full-blown addict, drinking every day, morning to evening, and still trying to have a job, crazy. You, you know what I mean. You've been there. You have people you've worked with that have been there. Um, I remember that the people that I wanted to go be around were also other addicts. Yep. So I felt, I felt better. And I'll tell you. There's something about that, that we need to understand as a culture, too. There's something about the heart of an addict. The heart of an addict is so good. Mm. Sometimes sometimes, some get to the point where they're so far you can't really feel it, and it's sad. Yeah. But the heart of an addict is so good, and they there's so much value, so much love there just like all the rest of everybody else, right? Someone that's making great choices, awesome choices in their life. You see them smiling bright in their face. Guess what? You go me you go talk to an alcoholic for 10 minutes alone. And guess what you're going to feel? You're going to feel loved. They they're going to th there's I I don't know that I've ever felt so accepted so quickly as with people that because there's there's hurt there. Yeah. And that hurt heart wants to just feel better and and so they want to make you feel better. And um, so my love, my love is, is absolutely with people that are in those moments really struggling. I, and I, I, I feel for them. I, I love them. But, you know, I, I, they're special people. And we need to remember that always. Um, tell me real quick, fill us in on um, your current. You currently you're working for a nonprofit. Yep. I work for a nonprofit and we help. Prisoners transition out of prison, which is phenomenal. It's phenomenal. It's a different take. I've been working in treatment for about 15 years and just got sort of um, recruited for this position by a, a dude I helped some time ago. He's quite a guy. He's created this nonprofit. It's called Persevere. Persevere, and um, you know the the core of it is to teach coding, computer coding, in prisons. So we're in classrooms, and um, my job is to help the transition piece. Because getting a job is fine, but if you can't stay sober, or you can't stay, figure out your finances, or you're emotionally uh, it's hard to keep. Um, the idea is to keep human beings of the same value as you and me out of cages. Yes. And able to provide for their children and their parents and their communities and their themselves. They, they think of the – I just mean – you and me. I mean, I didn't get caught yeah. that much. I've been to – I did not get caught of the – Thousands of nights I drove drunk. Yeah, I got caught once. Yeah, and I only drove drunk like ten years after that. Yeah, same stuff. Got caught doing the same stuff. A lot of us have done, whether you're drunk or not. Yeah, right. And so um, they're the same. They're the people sitting next to you, working with you in school with your kids. Um, I'd love to sell the same. And, and the esteem, I, I don't know how to code. 
Learning how to code in prison. Right? Learning how to code in prison. These guys do it, and they love it. And I mean, I talked to a guy today who was so excited that he kept his animation project. How cool. I, can't, I don't know how to do that. Right? So to come YouTube out, to watch animation. all of a sudden you take people who have been here for a while, they come out, and they've got a steam. They feel good. They can do got something. Skill. Yes. They've got it. So that Way to go. It feels nice to be part of that. Way to go. And now I spend a lot of my time caring for my dad. Yes. Now, how old is your dad? Eight, he'll be 86 Kay. on Saturday. Awesome. Well, I hope I hope that he'll listen to this and, and uh, hear hear of your love. I, before we even started this, Mark, you talked a lot about your dad and, and how much you love him. So I, I yeah. just – what's your dad's name? Sanford. Sanford. Mark loves you. Sanford and son. Yeah, Sanford yeah. and son. All right, I love it. Um, but you, so you, you're, you're a nonprofit, persevere. You're doing some really good things. In, in your life, ever since you really made this decision one day at a time, you've you've served i mean you've you've put yourself back in these addiction recovery programs in these homes you've developed programs to help people get out of that i see that so much with the people that that i interact with and that have been on my podcast sharing yeah. their stories is when they've gone through hard things one of the one of the things that we do when we're when we're recovering yeah. from whatever it is is we serve and we give back because all of a sudden there's this piece of gratitude in our right. hearts that we've, we've been missing for a long time. Well, and, I, and for me it is um, some of it's the, the two, the dues that I owe those men that rallied around me. And I, like for that guy that my family would say saved my life, like if one family would say that about me, like any human being, like I mean he didn't literally save my life. He was just like, that's God. Yeah. He was there, and if I could, you know, impact one dude, right? And you think of these ripple effects because he's helped one guy. He yeah. He decided to really invest in one guy, and I've done that over my career and some guys, and it's like the ripple effect of yep. just helping one person, just help one guy. Changes generations. Yeah. And and let's be real, God answers people's prayers sometimes by sending other people into your lives. Yes. I haven't seen like a version of God other than a human being. That's right. I mean, so he, that's, how he, uh, he, that's how he works. And my, yeah, my thing is like I asked God for help, and he sent me to these people in my life. Yeah. That's – they just came into my life. That's the help of God. I love it. Prayers are answered. I ask God for help every day, and he sent Mark Dr. Pepper into my life. So here we go. Thank you, Mike. Um, so, so I just I, – I have a couple more questions for you I want to get to real quick. Um. When you were in the middle of your addiction, full-blown, were you able to recognize, like, were you able to recognize that you were dropping lower and lower, and lower darker and darker Absolutely. and darker? You saw it. Well, I felt it, saw it. I ended up at a park when I went down to Holland. I mean, it, like, literally changed, like, the first day or two when I was in Holland. So even though you recognized it, you still didn't have the ability to change it in that yeah. moment. That's and, and and so expound on that. So tell me, at what point does it get to the point where okay, people call it rock bottom. What what point does it get to that well for so you? So my sobriety, ha I got sober probably eighteen months after I lived with my dad. Okay. So I'm talking about a woman driving all the way to Florida. We rented a home in a pretty nice neighborhood. When I finally got sober, sure. We're living at a park and you know, eating out at a soup kitchen and out at a bunch. We didn't. I didn't get sober. Yeah. It felt like a rock bottom, but I think the spiritual rock bottom is when you, for me, was I can't and I can't not. I tried every, I 
kind of just ran out of my own ideas. Yeah. I needed to go where some the ideas were already in place. I just needed to do them, and I needed to have the strength to do them. But I didn't. I couldn't manipulate any more women, or any more situations to push the game. And I think I think that's really important to talk about is when when someone's hit rock bottom, it doesn't mean if when they recognize right. that it doesn't mean they're going to change like that. Right. It means sometimes things have to happen for a while. There's lessons that come over time that eventually slow, slow, little minuscule steps will be taken. Yeah. And those things are little building blocks. And we got to give people grace and time and mercy please, to take those please. steps. Because if, if we could rush that, we would. We cannot. Yeah. If, if my parents could have gotten me sober when I was 17, they would have. Sure. They didn't. When I was 30, my like it took years of hell and a bunch of – it just took what it – takes what it takes and yeah. I hope that people live but the problem with drugs and alcohol is people die and that made them real good good folks and we need more people on this side give grace give mercy and look at I, I look at and this is not the final product but I look at you right now sitting across from me Mark and I go this is a human being that is good mm. and this is a human being that is doing good things here to to support God's children or, or you know God's God's love for his 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 little buddies down here on this on this earth right so final th final questions for me sure um and i could talk to you all night this has been awesome this is really nice yeah there's so you. much valuable information mark that you you can give us and that you've already given us um if if i was you take somebody in that darkest moment where they're right on the verge of let's say giving up or even committing suicide they're right there. They're, they want to quit. They hate themselves. They're worthless. They feel no value. Everybody hates them. They're whatever. There's, there's, there's just nothing going for them. They're mad, at, they're mad at God, if you will. If you could look that person in the eye, what, what would you say to them? Good question. I think um, one of the things I would say would be, can you put off whatever you're thinking or doing just for one day? What if we get through tonight? still want to kill yourself tomorrow or you want to drink tomorrow um, can you talk about that because um, I think a little bit of time sometimes really helps sure um, and it once it's too late it's too late and it you know whether it's um, drugs and alcohol mental health other addictions behavior addictions suicidality um, again it's going to change right and it might take some years and it might take yeah. You, you never know. Um, and uh, just ask for a day. Yeah. Uh, just ask them, like, can you just give me one more day? And um, if they were drunk, if they were already inebriated or, or impaired, I probably wouldn't talk to them. Yeah. I just say that because if they're not going to remember, it's going to be some decisions that are poorly made. But most people, when they verbally contract to, like, not hurt themselves for a day, won't. Yeah. They'll stick to that. And so um, – and I do that in facilities or with, with clients, and I just say that if you before you decide to hurt yourself, call me. I'd like to say goodbye. I'd like to tell you how much I love you. I, I think one thing that's so neat about what you just said, in my brain, I would I would try and do something to change their minds. Yeah, <laughs> good luck. Right? Right? And no one could have done that for me when I was in that moment. But that's, that's kind of the way I think. Right. right? The way and most I, of us think. Right? 
the way you understand free agency is beautiful. And the way you value people as their agents under themselves, their own people, is so – it's special. I, I think Thanks. just that idea to say, hey, I'm with you. I know – I, I get where uh, where you could be and must be. Can you hold on for one more day? Right. Just and through if the not, night. then we're going to the hospital. Yeah. Like, I, I, yep. I, don't, I don't miss. I mean, wellness checks, hospital visits are – I'd rather be overly careful yep. with someone that's thinking of hurting themselves than not. Yeah. I don't – But I still giving them that, that – that They're good because they're, they're going to do what they want that's anyway. That's it. And, and to give them – that's that in a way, that's showing them respect right. and love, which is that's what an – wants so much they just want to feel worth it right yeah they can't well you can't do that because of all the people you've disappointed and if i'm changing if i'm trying to change their mind they're in their brain they're going to sit there and go oh come on i've heard this a million times my mom and dad used to say this to me this is allowing them to be them acknowledging make a choice yeah please i believe in you make a choice and listen if you gotta go like please say goodbye you know never like that kind of shocks some people yeah and it's Why would you say? Yeah. They care about you. Yeah. So anything to change that current state Put without it. talking them out of it. I don't. Good luck talking anyone out of anything they've decided to do. Yeah, that's clear-headed, not clear-headed. Like if when you've decided to do things, you do. Yeah. Good, bad, indifferent. Yeah, that's interesting. Thank you for sharing. You're that's welcome. really that's really cool. Okay. Um. Take the darkest moments of your life and and you you know them very clearly because you don't forget them in those moments where you you felt worthless no value um like quitting what what does that moment give you mm. that's the gift what's the gift that you received at that moment <coughs> i think it's given me perspective and it's given me an appreciation as I wander around is like all of us are probably hurting about something. All of us probably have some pain. And how do I want to, all of us are, you know, I guess I can, we're spiritually sick at some level. That's how I see it. Sure. How do I want to treat people that are sick? With judgment and anger and scorn? Like, no, not really. I like to do that with some compassion and some love and some gentleness. And I've got to have some of that doesn't matter what like I grew up in a really nice home yeah really big beautiful home doesn't matter yeah and I know there are people that don't grow up in nice homes that are that don't struggle like we all have something and so sort of embracing all of us as hum- humans and in this a very divided time politically economically spiritually religious like everything is we're on this side or that side and exactly right in like I don't need I, I just need to like look you in the eye and I, I know I'm here with you yeah 
So I think it's in humanity and some compassion here too. I love it. You know, you, you know, Mark. I, I think of um, th- th- there's a there's a saying from a book. Um, it's called the Wounded Healer, and it very much reminds me that it's interesting in life how the people that are wounded the most turn around and become the healers. And I I just knowing you and, and looking at your example in life, that's those are the steps that you've taken. And if that's what the darkest hours of your life have given to you, are there any regrets for that? Oh, I have none. Yeah. Well, A, I can't do anything <laughs> about it, so why <laughs> yes, would I regret it? you can't change it. it but I've tried to go back 20 right. years and change it. It's, it's, a, it's a horrible exercise. I guess the question would be then, are you grateful for it? Of course, it? Yeah. every bit of it, every doggone bit of it. Because I think when it's, I think about like waking up and it's sort of like what I'm going to say is, you know, when you're first opening your eyes and it's the, the brightness is so bright. Yeah. But I think that recovery from whatever we're recovering, even, you know, anything is when it's been really dark, the brightness is just brighter. So bright. Like the goodness is so good. Yeah. To my sense, like, do I think my life is better than like, it's, it's a pretty, it, it looks kind of boring. <laughs> to me, it's like the yeah so can i see that because of the darkness i think so a little more clearly so it's beautiful and we need to give each other the grace and mercy to be able to do that for ourselves right because we all need that mark you're awesome thank you mike love you man thanks for being on the show that's great yep thank you